You probably noticed it. Uh, it's hard not to notice it these days, but this world is not exactly a peaceful place. Uh, it's not just uh, the contemporary times that we're in. Uh, you pick a century in the world's history, historians will point to a number of conflicts raging between nations, people groups, like you name it. Narrow it down a little bit to our own country's history, and in our relatively short country's history compared to the rest of the world, name a decade, and historians will show you wars, civil wars, uh, injustices, they'll show you divides, they'll show you different conflicts, different issues that Americans have had to pick sides on that have divided us still to this day. But some of you probably don't need a history teacher to know all of that. Some of you uh, have lived it. Some of you are old enough to remember things like the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the war uh, in Iraq, Afghanistan. Right? Some of you were there, right? Some of you, some of you lived it. But we also know that the, the absence of peace is not just limited to a military conflict, but it's really everything that we see, right? The shouting matches and screaming and name-calling and the war in the political realm that trickles down to our lives, right? Maybe in a little closer to home, the war at home with the little terrorist twos and the terrible threes and the fearsome fours and fives and on and on and on. The, the absence of peace in the home as it continues on throughout the teenage years and let's be honest, throughout life. Peace is something that is really, really hard to find. It's really hard to manufacture, which is a little bit ironic. It's a little bit odd because I think if I were to take a poll of everybody today, how many of you would like peace, more peace? I think everybody would say, yes, please. It is something that we all want. I would prefer not to send my sons and daughters off to war. I would prefer not to have to dodge bullets and bombs. I would prefer less shouting and angry screaming and much more peace and quiet. So if, if we prefer those things, right, if you want less drama and your boss or your coworker at work that you seem to butt heads with all the time want less drama, if the classmates that you just seem to ebb and flow with getting along with them and wanting nothing to do with them, if you would like there to be peace, if, if you'd like there to be peace with your seemingly oppressive parents or seemingly rebellious kids, if everybody wants this same thing, then why does it seem like it's such a rare thing to have? And I think the answer is because the cost for peace comes at a price that is so high and is so deeply personal that it makes it so hard for anyone wanting to, to really pay the price for peace. Because the price for peace is essentially me, I, self. That is the price of peace. My wants, my preferences, my opinions, my ways, my styles, my likes, my everything. If there's going to be peace between you and I, then, then I have to give those things up, and so do you. But it is so hard because by our very nature, we are bent inward towards ourselves. We are so selfish and self-centered, we come out and the only thing we can think of from the womb is me, me, me. And that is how we live our lives in this sinful world. 
And the moment that I insist on my preferences, on my ways, on my opinions, on my wants, it makes peace absolutely impossible. And to show you what I'm talking about here, uh, you ever seen two little kids, maybe two preschoolers, who want to play with the same toy at the exact same time? Not a lot of peace in that moment, right? Think of two brothers who both want the same remote to control the TV or the same game controller to play their games. Two sisters who both want to take the first shower before all the hot water runs out. Two spouses who both insist that their way of loading the dishwasher is the absolute correct way. And not just the dishwasher, but also loading the roll of toilet paper at home, right? It could be uh, two coworkers who both want to take the lead on the project and have a vision for how they want it to work. Two coaches who protest because they saw the play perfectly and they want the call to go their way. Two highly opinionated people who are spouting their opinions and want the other person to drop their opinions and see things their way. You see how rare peace is? See, sometimes we think, oh, if that other person would just, and we get it so wrong. The hardest person to tame is not the other person. The hardest person to tame is that little warlord inside your own heart that beats me first. Me first. Me first. And so if it seems like impossible <laughs> for that peace to exist then when we are so bent inward on ourselves, then is peace just something for the Christmas season, for the carols, for the spirit of this time of year? Is it actually possible? And of course, I believe you would know the answer to be yes. It, it, it so is possible. It's one of the gifts that Jesus Christ, when he came in the manger, it's one of the gifts that he brings We've been talking about those gifts, hope, joy, love, and today, peace. And today, that's what the prophet Micah is talking about in those brief words that we have, a messenger of peace, that he's going to show us not just what this peace really is and looks like for us, but how we can live, how we can continue to have this peace in our lives. It all started a little bit over 700 years before that first Christmas, before peace came to earth that Christmas night. A little more than 700 years, Micah was around, and Micah was prophesying to the Israelites. And much like with all the other prophets that we've seen so far in this series, the message was a message of gloom, of repentance, of warning, of frustration, of wrath that's going to be coming. Because the people he was talking to had big, big problems. Uh, Micah starts out this way in chapter 5. He says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops. For a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. That's uh, Micah's uh, prophetic and poetic way of essentially saying, get ready because war is coming. A hostile takeover is coming that's going to actually reach all the way even to Jerusalem itself. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at the prophet Zephaniah. And Zephaniah essentially said the same thing to people who said, get ready, God's punishment is coming. And in Zephaniah, God's, God's punishment, God's tool for punishment was this powerhouse nation known as the Babylonians, a great world power. This is before Zephaniah, and the powerhouse nation that God was going to use to exact his punishment was actually the powerhouse nation of the Assyrians. 
may not mean a lot to you and I today, but to them, the name, the Assyrians invoked sheer terror, brutal tactics, flaying people alive, just awful, horrible stuff. They were a horrible nation, and God was going to use them to essentially wipe out, eradicate, make desolate the whole northern kingdom of Israel, deport them, and even touch into the southern kingdom of Judah, lay a siege all the way up to the holy city of Jerusalem itself. But as bad as the enemy outside their borders and their gates was, Micah says there's an even worse enemy. Inside your gates, inside your walls, inside your own hearts. If you were to read through his book, you would see him again and again and again, chapter after chapter after chapter, exposing this me-first heart that has completely ruined any hope for peace between them and God. He calls out uh, rulers, these people who are supposed to, to rule the people, take care of, of the marginalized and the oppressed. And he calls them out and says, you're doing just the opposite. You're just ruling to use your power and your leverage for your own selfish gain. Instead of granting justice to those who, who demand it, you accept bribes to betterment yourself, to make yourself richer. Even, he even calls out the priests. Like maybe, maybe you'd think of a person like me or, or Pastor Italiano, people who are, who are called to be in charge of people's spiritual care. And he says, you're accepting bribes? Like you're charging people to administer grace to them? I mean, the whole situation, the whole ruling situation, the secular side, the spiritual side, it is an utter mess. And Micah says, repent. Reform. Because God's wrath is coming. But how did Israel respond? Well, if you read Micah, you see that the rulers bring out their own so-called prophets who just tell them what their itching ears want to hear. No, God's not mad. God's not angry. We're not going to have war with the Assyrians. Posh, come on. It's not going to happen. We've got peace. God's fine with us. And Micah says, no. no in fact, Israel is going to be abandoned. You will no longer rule yourselves. Instead, you'll be handed off from one ruler to the next, from one nation to the next, to the next, to the next. You'll, you won't rule yourself anymore. You won't have any peace. There will just be war because of the war you raged with God in your hearts. But as we've also seen in the prophets so far, in all their prophecies, it's like they have this, uh, this vision on the horizon, right? They, they see what's to come, but they also see what's to come after that, right? Like a mountain range, when you, when you can see the, the closest mountain, but you can also see the peaks of the mountains that are further away. Micah says, this is the immediate reality, but there is hope. There's a, there's a mountain to come. There's a reality after it of hope and peace. And he starts out by saying this. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, in case you don't know, Bethlehem Ephrathah is distinguishing it from another Bethlehem that was in the land of Israel that day, a much larger Bethlehem, not Bethlehem Ephrathah. 
It's a podunk, rinky-dink town that it's like this one camel stop and you're, you're gone. You could blink and you miss it. Like, that's the kind of place. It's just this insignificant, seemingly nobody town. And he says, yeah, out of this place is going to come a ruler. And not just a ruler that you've had for centuries who have failed you, who have done just so much harm and no good for you. No, this is a ruler whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And if you were a a Jew listening to that and, and you knew your scripture, you might say, wait a second, from ancient times? Is he talking about like the promised Messiah to come to crush the serpent's head is is this the one that, that he said through our father Abraham, through him all nations will, will be blessed? Is this the one that, that Isaiah, Micah's contemporary, is saying this will be Emmanuel, God with us, his name will be called the, the Prince of Peace? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one that Micah is talking about. That's the reality that he's foreshadowing. And he says, not only will it come from the most unexpected place, but it'll come in the most unexpected way. He says in verse 3, until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. A child, an infant. Christmas. The baby Jesus that we celebrate. And when we read that, I think so many times we think, yeah, Christmas, here we go. But I wonder if maybe we should actually pause and think a child a son? Maybe there's a certain part of that that should make us incredibly sad. Sometimes I think what we do at the Christmas season is we maybe romanticize the whole Christmas time a, a little bit too much. And let me be absolutely clear, I'm not saying take down decorations. I'm not saying change your celebrations. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I think sometimes when we, when we set up our mangers, when we look at a nativity scene and, and see that baby boy, we think, aw, wrapped up like a little burrito, those little chubby cheeks and, and this little chunk of a child and those little baby toes and, oh, it's just so cute, lying in a pile of hay, aw. But instead, when you hear a message like this from Micah, maybe instead of, aw, our reaction should be, oh, like, that's not like, that's Jesus, but that's, that's God. Like, the immortal God, the incarnation, the, the, mortal, the immortal becoming mortal, wrapping himself up in human flesh, he didn't do it so he could be goo-gooed and gaga at. He didn't do it to be sentimentalized. He did it so he could be cut, so that he could be pierced, so he could bleed. So he could die. Because that's the punishment for the war in our hearts, for the sin, for the me first attitude that we all have. If you think about it, Christmas, it should make us so sad because it should have never happened. Like the only reason it happened was because the first two people that God ever made went in perfection and they enjoyed this peace with God and then they made a choice. God, yeah, we know what you said about this fruit. We know what you said about this tree, but for the first time ever, we're going to make a decision and we're going to say, me first. And peace was ruined. 
And God had to, had to remove them from his presence, and, and mankind has been at war with God ever since. Every single person who has come from Adam's line, you, me, an entire world, from the moment we're conceived, we, are, we are, have this me first, this beating heart of selfishness, of inwardness that cares only about me. My preferences, my way, what I want to do. Like, is this not at the heart of every single conflict that, that keeps peace from happening? Marriage fights and divorces, family squabbles, sibling rivalries, crimes, murder, road rage, injustice, civil suits, friendship drama, you name it, at, at the heart of every single one of those conflicts, at the absence of all of that peace, you find you, you find someone who insists on my way. And yeah, we could get caught up in, in how it just makes peace impossible with one another, but what do you think it does to your God? Like not only does it make peace impossible to have with those closest to you, but it ruins any chance of peace with our Heavenly Father. It's, it's wrecked, it's destroyed our relationship with him. And that's why Christmas had to happen. And on the one hand, yeah, it, it should make us sad when we see the manger. On the other hand, it should excite us to no end. Like it is both a bitter and a sweet thing to see that this is how far your God was willing to go to be at peace with you. So far that the immortal Son of God left heaven. The Word became flesh. He wrapped himself up in flesh and blood and human bone. And throughout all of this cycle of people being born saying, me first, me first, me first, me first, he broke it. And he was born the first person in human history who said, you first. And that was his entire reason for coming, and that was his entire life to a world, to a people who struggle with this, this inward attitude of it's all about me and I've got to have my way and, and it's my way or the highway, who struggle with their pride, with their ego, with their me-first attitude, Jesus broke that cycle and said, you first. Like the punishment that you deserve, you first. Which means I'm going to take that punishment. And my holiness, you first. And I'm going to give that to you. And that's why Isaiah says, or why Micah says, he will be our peace. So that you could have peace with God right now. That there would be no more fighting with God because he would say, no, I've, I've ended the war. I made peace with you. Baby Jesus. Christmas. And you wouldn't have to strive in your relationship with God thinking like, okay, I, I think I've done enough. I think I'm doing good. He'd say, no, there, there's none of that. Like, I've done everything for you. Jesus Christ, he said it's finished. Have peace. It's yours. But you would never have to think for a second, where do I stand with God? I don't know. Is he upset with me? Is he ticked off with me? Is, is, I don't know if, if I were to die. Would, he'd say, no. 
have peace because I reconciled you to me. It's a peace unlike anything the world has ever seen. And it reminds me of another peace that happened last century, a little over 100 years ago, that was unlike at the time what the world had ever seen then. World War I, for all you historian buffs, feel free to correct me afterwards, but uh, World War I, over 25 million people died, were maimed, were hurt in this war, one of the bloodiest wars ever affecting the entire planet. And in this old-school, trench-style warfare, I believe what happened in 1914, you had the Germans on one side, you had the British on the other side in their trench, but something so different happened on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve of 1914, the British looked over through their binoculars at the, at the German trench, and they saw them decorating it with whatever decorations they had to get ready for Christmas. And instead of hearing gunshots and bombs, what they heard was singing. German carols echoing over to their tunnel. So the British and the forces there responded with their carols going over to the German trenches. And then Christmas Day, 1914, the unthinkable happened. In the middle of this bloody conflict, people put their guns down, got out of the trenches, and in the no-man's-land middle between the two sides, they talked. They fraternized as much as they could from one language to another. Some of them exchanged gifts, souvenirs. It was, it was Christmas. There was, a, there was this makeshift truce. There was even talks of a couple soccer games going on all along the, the battle lines between the two sides. Not a single shot was fired. And then do you know what happened the evening of that Christmas day? As as the sun faded away, each side went back to their own trench, and the next morning, <laughs> the war resumed. Gunshots, and bombs, and the peace was over just like that. I share that with you because I don't want that to happen. I don't think anybody wants that to happen. I share that with you because how do we take this peace beyond just a Sunday morning encounter, beyond a, a, a simple message, and actually live it out? That we don't just say, great message, oh, it was an awesome service, and then go back to our lives of no peace and no change. But how do we actually take this, let it be planted deeply in us, and actually live it out? So that it doesn't just last a day, an hour, even a Christmas season, but we have it all year, every year, this, this peace. And the answer is, of course, found in Jesus Christ. His beating heart that said, you first. The unconditional love that God had to say, you first. That you would let that heart, you would let that message so melt and so change and transform your heart, that your heart would stop going, me first, me first, me first, to instead have the gospel message change you to say, you first, you first, you first. And practically speaking, what, what does that look like? There's a lot of things I could say, but maybe I'll just suffice it to say what, what it means is 
You look at other people the way Jesus did. You look at other people the way Jesus saw you. And you wouldn't judge people just by looking at them, by appearances. You don't judge a book by its cover. But you would see them as Jesus saw you. Not just a human being, but a soul. A blood-bought human being that he came for, that he loved, that he said, I want you. I bled to have you. That you wouldn't look at people and, and label them based on their worst experience, based on the worst thing that they ever said, based on their worst opinions, based on their worst moments in life, but instead you would look at people and you would say, no, that's, that's someone, despite their differences, despite their past, I have differences, I have a past, Jesus saved me from those, and Jesus loves this other person. And I'm going to say you first. It means looking at another person and saying, where's their need and how can I help it? It means that everything we think, everything we do, everything that we say would be so loving, so filled up with Jesus, you first, that you would, that you would look at them and say, how can I lift them up with my words? How can I lift them up and encourage them with my actions? How can I change my thoughts to think nothing but, but good things and take their words and actions in the kindest possible way? What that means on your personal lever, level is going to change from person to person. Maybe it means that what you do is you say you first and you reach out with an apology to try to bring peace and healing to a relationship of hurt. Maybe it means just a total change of your attitude at work. That you humble yourself. And you think a whole lot less of yourself and instead just say you first. Like I said, the, the, the situations, it's going to be different from every single person. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like for you personally. I don't know if when you show that love, if they're even going to reciprocate it. I don't know how it's going to go. But I do know that when you say you first, <clears throat> peace is possible. Because Jesus proved it. With the people of God, with the world, with your relationship with God, when you say you first, peace is possible. A peace that came from heaven to earth, a peace that you learned from the Prince of Peace who gave you peace with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, every single one of us spend all day repenting of our me-first attitudes, of the thoughts, of the words, of the actions that we've said and done. We have to realize that the reason there's no peace, we can't look at a single other person except ourselves in the mirror. The fault lies with us. But Lord, you came. And you, the bringer of peace, paid the punishment, our punishment, to bring us peace. Lord, this Christmas season, <laughs> help us that we can exude your heart to us so that we can show a you-first love and, and bring about peace in our relationships and in our world. That Christians all across the world would be different. We'd be peacemakers because we are, we are letting our light shine, our lights of your you-first love to other people so that people could see that it's not just something that we spend time with the holidays talking about peace. So it's not just one time a day, one time a week where we have this peace in our lives. But instead, we'd live it 24-7, 365. 
until we see you face to face, the bringer of peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.